You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. Worship service on Easter. And I I thought that uh, the most important question for us to consider today would be, what's the meaning of Easter? What's the meaning of Easter? It's increasingly an important question that we ask, I think, as uh, Christianity in our society is in decline, and as there's more and more distance for many of us from what the meaning of Easter is. You know, meaning is often carried in our habits and our traditions and the postures that we adopt. Here at church, we have certain habits. We have trumpet and organ, which we normally don't have here at City Church. And we have um, reading of seven stanzas of Easter, and we have people dressed up in, in Easter dresses and nice clothes. These are some of the things that maybe give meaning to Easter. And at home, you probably have similar habits and routines on this weekend. They're uh, habits like uh, Easter baskets and chocolate and maybe champagne. And there are meals together with family. These are all sorts of traditions that we have on this day, on this weekend. I remember one uh, particular Easter when I was growing up, my family was in Europe at the time. We were staying in Germany, and um, we went on this uh, walk. My dad, I think probably just to get me and my sisters out of the house, took us on a walk. And he, um, as we were going along, he said, well, keep your eye out for Easter eggs. And so we're just walking some random street in a city in Germany, I couldn't tell you what city, and we we found Easter eggs. My sister would find one behind a tree and she would grab it and bring it to my dad and then I would find one on on a a parked car on its windshield. I said, I found an Easter egg and I ran and brought it back to my dad and I had so much delight and surprise that even in this random place in Germany, there was the magic of Easter. It turns out my dad only had three Easter eggs and Every time we returned them to him, he would walk ahead of us a little bit and rehide the same egg. We never caught on. But that was the magic of Easter. It captured some of what this day is. But what is the real meaning of Easter? Even behind the, the, the ways we dress up at church and the, the things that we do at home. Well, I want to tell you what the meaning of Easter is. The meaning of Easter is rescue. That's what Easter means. Easter means rescue. It is a story of rescue. It is the story of rescue for you and for the entire world. And that's what I want to talk about for a few minutes this afternoon. And in order to do that, we're going to read a story that comes from the very first Easter Sunday of Jesus risen from the dead and interacting with some of his friends. And this is a longer passage, but it tells a story. So I hope you'll follow along as I read these words from Luke's gospel. This is Luke 24, verses 13 through 30. Here's what it says. 
That very day, two of them, those are Jesus' friends, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they didn't find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures, and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, we ask now by your Holy Spirit that just in the same way that the eyes of these disciples were opened to recognize Jesus, that we too in these moments would recognize Jesus. Help us through your word to see Jesus crucified and resurrected as the story of rescue that we've long been hoping for. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So these verses in Luke chapter 24 tell the story of the first Easter. They're narrating what happened, what the experience was like for the friends of Jesus that first Sunday morning after they'd seen him put to death. And they also, these verses, show us the meaning of Easter. They show us that it's all about rescue. They show us that this story is a story of rescue that you and I are longing for. Well, what is this a story of rescue, a rescue from? It's a rescue from a couple of things. First off, I want you to see that it's a story of rescue from sadness and from hopelessness. 
That's the first thing that Jesus rescues these two disciples on the road to Emmaus from. It's kind of a weird scene, isn't it, as it unfolds. I went for a walk with my wife uh, earlier today in the fan, and I was thinking a little bit about this passage, how weird it would have been if as Sarah and I were walking down a sidewalk in the fan, someone had come up to us and said, hey, what are you guys talking about? That's kind of what Jesus does, right? He, he sees these two strangers walking along and he says, uh, mind if I butt into your conversation? Tell me, uh, catch me up on the news of the town. And they begin to do this a little bit. They tell Jesus of all the events that had happened in Jerusalem that they're astonished that he doesn't know, right? Because at this point, they're, they're blind to who he really is. They don't recognize him. But as they talk a little bit, as they have this conversation on the way, it becomes clear that these disciples are both sad and hopeless. We're told in verse 17, as Jesus first interacts with them and asks them a question, it says, and they stood still looking sad. Right? They've, uh, they go on to give a summary of the last 48 hours and explain some of their sadness. That their, their friend, their teacher, the one that they had pinned great hopes on. He was dead and buried, and now no one could find him. They're sad. And then verse 21 uh, explains this a little bit more, and it, it, it moves from just sadness over these events to a, a more settled hopelessness. In verse 21, it says, But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And that word there, redeem, it really means rescue. We had, we had hoped that this was going to be the rescuer. This was going to be the savior. This was going to be the one who changed our whole outlook. And not just for us, but for the whole people. The disciples on the road to Emmaus are sad and hopeless. And I think that if you and I are honest, if we could take the time to be honest, maybe right now, we're sad and hopeless too. That's where we find ourselves, even behind the Easter dresses and the smiles out in front of the cross. Right? Many of us are sad and hopeless, and we're looking for rescue. We're sad, many of us, because of the steady stream in our lives of disappointment, of disease, even of death. Sadness settles into our bones. And Worse even than that sadness is hopelessness, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a level up, right? Sadness is something that comes from the circumstances of life that don't, don't always go our way, and then hopelessness turns up the volume a little bit, and it says, you know what? I'm sad, and I don't see any way this will ever get better. Hopelessness settles down more deeply, doesn't it? And it doesn't see any way out. Where are the places in your life today that you feel sad and hopeless? Do you ever catch yourself? Do you ever find yourself saying, yeah, I used to hope? Because that's the problem that the disciples discover is that they no longer hope. I had hoped. We had hoped. But now hope just seems like a dream. What is so sad in your life that you've stopped hoping altogether? You know, part of the reality of my job is that I speak to a lot of people who are sad and often bordering on hopeless. 
People who I have a conversation with, a phone call, or they come into my office and they say, you know, my marriage is so broken right now that it feels hopeless. People who look back over the past few years of their parenting and they they see so many flaws and so many failures and they want to throw their hands up and they say, it seems pretty hopeless. People who have been struggling with addiction or patterns of sin that they hate, but they can't seem to break free of. And they look at me and they say, Eric, I used to have hope, but I don't have it anymore. You see, the disciples that Jesus meets on the road to Emmaus, they represent you and me in the places that we are sad and hopeless. But, but, did you notice by the end of the walk that these two are transformed? Their eyes are opened, their hearts are burning, and they become heralds of the good news of Easter. He has risen. They have been rescued from their sadness and their hopelessness by the risen Christ. And that leads to the deeper reality of rescue that's present in this passage and that is available for all of us today. You see, the, 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 the way that it manifests, the superficial way that it shows up is this rescue from sadness and hopelessness. But deeper down, what Jesus is offering is Jesus is offering you and me rescue from sin. You see, sin is the reality that lurks behind all human sadness and all human hopelessness. In Easter... What it means is that there is rescue for you and for the entire world from sin. Let me explain this a little bit more and where we see this in this passage. Because probably when I I said what I just said, right, that Easter is rescue from sin, some of you probably immediately tuned me out. Don't go there. Let's not talk about that. Let's not get too religious. Or here's the other place that probably most of you went in this direction, right? When we talk about sin, you begin to think about sin strictly individually. And and this is true and right insofar as it goes. You, You maybe have heard the phrase that Jesus died for my sin, right? It's very individual. And that's true and it's present in this passage to some extent. It's the way that Jesus and what he did on the cross and what he did in rising from the dead is a rescue from the guilt of sin. The guilt that you and I carry around from doing things that are wrong, for feeling as though we are wrong and ashamed of that. Jesus rescues us from that. Where do we see it in the passage? I think we see it most clearly when Jesus, in verse 30, breaks bread and offers it to the disciples. Why do we see it there? Well, for these disciples, this was a clear echo of something that Jesus had done just a few days earlier. When Jesus had gathered his friends around him and he, he uh, told them about the Lord's Supper, he said, every time you get together, break bread, and that's going to be a sign to you of my broken body, that I will die and be broken to atone for your sins. Right, so as Jesus does this, their eyes are open and they're drawing their connections. They're saying, oh, remember what Jesus did a few days ago. 
He's reminding us of that. And he's assuring us that he, in dying on the cross, in his crucifixion, he has rescued us from sin. Specifically, he has rescued us from the guilt of sin that we carry around. That's the moment. That's the turning point in this passage. That's the moment that they get it. It's the hinge when they see that they are rescued from their sin. Last week, uh, during the sermon, our children, when they left, uh, they went upstairs and they did this thing that we call a walk through Holy Week. And it tells the story of Jesus' death on the cross and his rising again. And there are various characters that come and, and they act out the whole thing. And there's this one little girl, uh, Catherine told me, or told the staff this story this week. When they got to the, the, the day where Jesus, that sad day where Jesus died on the cross, this little girl, she got emotional. She started tearing up. And she just said, I feel so sad for Jesus having to die, right? It's the right response. It's a sadness at what Jesus had to suffer, and it's also this sadness over our, our culpability. It was our sin that put Jesus on the cross. And at that moment, Catherine knelt down next to her and said, well, do you want to go see the celebration room? And she took her into the room where there was an empty tomb, where Jesus had risen from the dead, right? And, and that is precisely what Jesus is doing for these disciples here. He is showing that there is rescue. There is rescue beyond their sin. There is rescue beyond his death. There's a celebration room of an empty tomb and a walking and talking Savior on the road to Emmaus. But the rescue that Jesus offers from sin is greater still. Right? I said that Jesus saving you individually from your sin is true insofar as it goes, but it's not the full story of Easter. It's not the full meaning of Easter because the rescue that Easter brings is a rescue from sin for the entire world, for all of us. The way that the Bible talks about sin is not just individual things that you do wrong. It is a settled, comprehensible, inescapable bondage that we all have to sin. In fact, not just all of us as humans, but it's a bondage that the whole world is enslaved to. The reason I'm talking about this is because at the, for the last three months here at City Church, we've been talking about the story of Exodus. That's the second book in the Bible. And in that story, it's God's people who are slaves in Egypt. They are in literal bondage. And that becomes this biblical motif. It's this biblical theme that is meant to point us to our condition. The fact that we are in bondage to sin. You see, sin isn't just the little things that you and I do wrong and feel sorry about. The sin that you and I need rescue from is a state of slavery that we are under. We are enslaved in a country of death. We are held in bondage to an empire of evil. In this way, sin is like a heavy fog that has settled over an entire city. Sin is like a weighted blanket that covers all of us. It covers all of creation, we're told in Romans 8. In Jesus, on that first Easter, in his resurrection, 
offers rescue from that. How does he do it? How does Jesus offer rescue of that? Well, he's showing us that because he is risen. He, in the flesh, a human like you and me, is no longer held captive to what holds all of us and all of creation in bondage. It's as though the chains have been released. It's as though that fog covering the city has been rolled back. It's as though that weighted blanket of sin has been thrown off. And Jesus is the first fruits. He is the example. The embodied example of resurrection freedom. He has put death to death. He has rescued us from sin. This settled condition that we all know so well. And that's why I want you to think about Easter, not just individually, but for the whole world. It's rescue for you, it is that. And it's rescue for everything. Pastor and scholar N.T. Wright puts it this way, he says, the resurrection isn't a surprise happy ending for one person. It's the turning point for everything. It's when winter begins to thaw. It's when the ice begins to break. It's when we, who have been so sad and hopeless, suddenly begin to hope again. Because in that moment, everything has changed. Everything sad that we once knew is coming untrue. Death itself is unwinding and working backwards. And all the things in this world that aren't the way they're supposed to be are suddenly being put right by Jesus. That's what it means that the resurrected Jesus would butt into this conversation on the road to Emmaus. He's offering a picture of rescue, what it really looks like. Got an email this week from a woman in this church. She's talking about a family member who was in town recently and visiting and came to church. This is a woman who, for the last several decades, has been angry with God, has been disappointed with God, has been running far away from God. But she came to church for some reason and heard you all singing and heard God's Word talked about. And then later that evening... And the next day, started talking with her brother and sister-in-law. And she said that she felt in her heart that she was being drawn back to God. She was being drawn home. That the grip, that sin, the fog that had settled into her life was suddenly starting to release its grasp. That's the rescue of Easter. And I share that story because I know that today there are others here who feel just like that woman. Sad and hopeless. Because sin has settled so deeply into your bones that you would say, yeah, I hoped at one point, but I don't hope anymore. Jesus, rising from the dead, Saying to death, you are no more, is proof of our rescue. And what I want to leave you with 
is for you to consider the transformation that these two disciples had on the road to Emmaus. What would that look like for you? What would it look like if your eyes were open to this reality? Because Easter is a rescue for you and for the whole world. And if you understand that rescue, if, it's, if the, the grip of sin has been released in your life, the trajectory of your life will start to look different. These disciples made a complete 180. They're on the road to Emmaus. They turn around and they head back to Jerusalem. And from standing there looking sad and from being hopeless, suddenly they are energized and they run back to their friends and they say, He is risen. He is risen indeed. It's as though they had had their opportunity coming out of their sadness to peer into the celebration room. And then they gather all their friends and they say, I want you to come and take a look too. Friends, today, this afternoon, all these habits and traditions of Easter, they are meant in so many ways to give us a picture of the celebration room of our rescue from sin and hopelessness, from sadness and hopelessness and from sin. Let us then be people, now with eyes open, who live differently, who live freely. Yes, we'll still have sadness. It's inevitable in this world. But we know hope, the hope of the resurrection, the certain hope of Jesus risen from the dead and our resurrection too as we are united to him by faith. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for this truth that we experience again today of Jesus Christ risen from the dead, of rolling back death in sin so that this settled curse that has seeped down into our bones, no longer owns us, and we are free. Help us to be women and men who live in the power of the resurrection this day and every day. We pray it in the name of the risen Christ. Amen.